Hello and welcome to The Scope. Our student-run and recorded podcast is put on by the Student Collaborative on Health Policy, a student group that works with Duke's Margola Center on all health policy-related matters. In this episode, we will be talking to Senator Natalie Murdoch, who represents Durham in the North Carolina General Assembly. This episode is hosted by myself, Nadia Bay, and Ashna Shah. In our conversation with Senator Murdoch, we focused on maternal mortality. Maternal mortality is defined as a death during pregnancy or within a certain time frame post-termination. This time frame varies from place to place. For example, the World Health Organization only includes deaths that occur up to 42 days after the end of a pregnancy, while the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention include deaths that occur up to a year postpartum. North Carolina uses the broader definition from the CDC, as a narrow definition can let cases fall through the cracks. Maternal mortality is important to health policy because it's often a result of other health conditions or structural disparities. Today we are really excited to be here with Senator Natalie Murdoch, who represents Durham as the 20th district in the state of North Carolina. We're going to talk about Senator Murdoch's health policy plan and her ideas for how to address health inequities in Durham. Senator Murdoch, do you want to start by introducing yourself? Hi, I guess my name is Natalie Murdoch. I am a North Carolina native. And as you mentioned, I'm honored to serve the 20th district in our state Senate as a state senator and can trace my family lineage um, all the way back to North Carolina, actually in Orange County, all the way back to slavery. So very, very invested um, in our state schools right here in North Carolina and spent some time in Asheville, but came back to the area and chose to live in Durham. I always say that Durham is my chosen home, but was born and raised in Greensboro, North Carolina, and was just very active as a, primarily as a government worker, which actually is very helpful in the current role that I serve. A lot of folks don't know that legislators really manage the state and our departments. They determine how our money spent, whether it's our UNC education system or our healthcare system our public schools, all of that is managed by your legislators. They determine the budgets. They even determine, you know, how a lot of these departments function. And so what was very useful for me to, you know, hopefully I have goals of being added to the transportation committee. So the fact that I have managed federal um, transportation dollars, state level dollars, worked on transit systems, and I bring very practical experience to this role. So I always say I'm a 36-year-old with a resume of a 56-year-old that was able to bring all that experience to this role. And also what I'll share a little bit later, just came from you know a middle-class background. I'm currently self-employed. I remember what it was like to uh, live in Durham before I moved to Asheville and my rent was $550. I was making $10 an hour. So I know what it's like to have to, you know, budget and to be a graduate paying two rounds of student loans and not making the highest of wages. I know what that feels like. So I can connect to my constituents that are, are facing that that pinch. My generation millennials, we're the first generation to, to really kind of challenge kind of what does the American dream look like where, you know, we, we have student loan debt, the cost of living is going up and we're doing everything we can and trying to make it, but definitely have a separate set of challenges compared to the generations that came before us. And so I thought that that voice was needed in the General Assembly, bringing that perspective forward. And we'll be talking about healthcare issues today. And what I'll also be sharing with folks, I come from a a family of, of those that served people. My father was a social worker. 
My mother was in public health and is a registered nurse. And so we'll be talking about the Christine Murdoch plan today. She hopefully can make a cameo a little bit later since I'm here with her, but she spent the majority of her career in public health. And so that is why I have a direct connection to healthcare and very passionate about public health. Sounds great. So of course, you briefly touched upon the Christine Murdoch plan. First, can you elaborate on what this plan is and how it addresses health inequities in Durham and beyond? Yes. Yeah, so um, what I would share throughout my campaign and now as a state senator is in Durham County alone, I think this was pre-pandemic. I think, unfortunately, the numbers are probably going to go up. But around 13 percent of Durham County residents actually lack um, appropriate access to health care. And across the nation, they are rolling back reproductive rights for women. That's also something that's very important to me. And also having a greater emphasis on public health. So the Christine Murdoch plan, again, named in honor of my mother. She was a daycare nursing supervisor in Guilford County. I believe for over 20 years before that, she was a nurse at Moses Cone. And so just growing up with a mother that was with a nurse and managed a team of 20 nurses, I would constantly you know, hear her stories when she would come home, whether it was outbreak of, of some kind of food bacterial virus at a daycare, she would be in charge of going in there and working with the health department to trace the source of that outbreak or whether it was her experiences at the clinic at Guilford County Health. They had a clinic for individuals that were uninsured where they could come in and pay those fees. And so with the Christine Murdoch plan, wanted to have an emphasis of that in Durham. As we all know, statewide, we've been fighting for Medicaid expansion. We'll continue to to do so. And so I wanted a plan that kind of rounded that out to say, let's look at health outcomes for those that don't have high wages. Let's look at maternal health issues. I've had way too many friends that have had issues, whether it was just kind of reproductive health or as they were mothers of just not having their doctors to take them seriously, not listening to them, almost literally dying as a result of childbirth. And then hearing alarming stories of women that did die with childbirth and the numbers don't lie. We know maternal health outcomes are worse for women of color. So being a woman of color, I also wanted a healthcare plan that kind of really called that out to really say, what is it that we can do as a general assembly to create better health outcome um, for women of color? And also, as we'll mention later, COVID-19 has also shown the, the gaps that we have in our, in our healthcare system. So the basis of the plan was to say that we need to do a better job of addressing those that are uninsured. The best way to do that is to expand Medicaid, to do a better job with outcomes for maternal health, and to also kind of reevaluate um, where those Medicaid dollars are going, also have an emphasis on pre- preventative health measures. Yeah, thank you so much. You kind of touched on this in your previous statement, but part of the Christine Murdoch plan obviously calls for the expansion of Medicaid, but how do you plan to address the Medicaid gap in Durham and help individuals who don't qualify for Medicaid or the Affordable Care Act subsidies? Yes, right here in Durham, we actually are very fortunate in that we do have the Duke Health System, which is one of the best in the nation. As we all know, folks flock from all over the country to get access to that system. And unfortunately, a lot of individuals their primary health care is going to the emergency room, you know, but at least we do have a major hospital that is here. But what we also see in Durham is, you know, folks from other areas. I mentioned earlier that I have family members from Alamance as well as Orange County. They'll also come to Duke Hospital. So not only do we feel it here in Durham, but we have a regional pull on the system since we do have a world-class healthcare facility. But do want to highlight also Lincoln 
Health Center. They have a great partnership with Duke University and they just do amazing work. If you are uninsured, they have a system where I believe you only pay $20 and you're able to go in and to be seen, um, particularly during COVID-19. They have really, really been um, critical to making sure that if you do have a COVID scare or if you are afraid that you may have been exposed, you can access resources through Lincoln Community Health Center. So I really want to make sure that we have all the funding that we need for those types of community health centers. Also through COVID-19, what's going to change in, in Durham and areas across the state, we did have funding to work with other community partners. You saw a lot of churches right here in Durham that had COVID-19 testing sites. And as we begin to roll out the vaccine and all of the, the apprehension and concern about the vaccine is valid, but I think the that pushback showed us that you need those community partners, those leaders in the community that can really serve as ambassadors for the healthcare system. So I think not only in regards to COVID, but whether it's reproductive health, you know, whether it's um, what does that look like in our local school system? You know, who's the face of having that first conversation with you about reproductive health? I'll often tell folks for me, being that my mom was a public health nurse, I had a full multimedia presentation in the comfort of my own home. Everyone does not have access to that. So I'm also very concerned about what children are getting first at the school level. So I'm talking to DPS about that. But then also as folks become adults, again, not only those community clinics, but we also have preventative healthcare programs funded by Medicaid, where you can go to someone's home and, and talk with them about, you know, okay, we notice you're asthmatic. How are you managing that asthma? How are you managing diabetes? So also having preventative health programs that are funded right here um, in Durham County, we have an amazing public health system. So a lot of those programs are already in the works. And also in regards to maternal health issues, touching on that again, how can we um, make sure that we support women even postpartum, not just that, you know, the health care of while you're pregnant, but caring for, for them even after they've had their child to make sure that whether it's the mental health that ties with their physical health, making sure all that is integrated. And also in regards to mental health, what we found right here in Durham is a lot of folks have better mental health access if they are covered with Medicaid. And so you can't get away from the conversation about Medicaid. You potentially could get better coverage through through that program than having private health insurance is what we found because it's just kind of more accessible. If, if you're looking for a provider for mental health services, it, you may not even know where to go or that first step, whereas if you're covered with Medicaid, you kind of have, you know, more access, you know how to connect those dots. So I think right here in Durham, we are doing a great job, but can't stress enough our need to continue to support our, our community clinics and working with faith leaders or, or other community centers so that folks even know how to get access to information and to get um, the health care that they, that they need and deserve. Oh, and also do want to highlight another concern in Durham. I think at one point our Latinx population their uninsured rate was actually 41% just in Durham. So I was actually surprised that the numbers were quite that high. But I think when you see the correlation of higher COVID rates with Latinx populations, I think that correlation is a result of, you know, if you simply aren't insured, you didn't have the luxury of going to your primary physician to say, I think I may have COVID. You just simply were on your own. So I think also that huge gap in those that are uninsured in Latinx, we have to do a better job of addressing here in Durham County. In Durham and North Carolina as a whole, social determinants of health create wide disparities, especially since the beginning of the pandemic, existing disparities have only grown, 
Are you looking at solutions beyond hospital and clinic sites? And if so, what are they? Have your health policy priorities changed since the pandemic began? Yes, definitely looking beyond hospital and clinic sites. And again, COVID has just served as a stress test for every system that we have, including healthcare and the earlier example of how you can work with folks even in their own homes. Now we can do that through telehealth. So I think we definitely do have to look beyond the clinic model, whereas with a virus very pervasive in the community and it's easy to catch, they didn't want you to come to the emergency room. They didn't want you to come to the doctor. So I think that kind of pushed us to think outside of the box and to say, how can you reach patients in a different way? I definitely think telehealth is the way that we're going to do that. Luckily in Durham County, we have pretty good broadband and internet coverage. Um, But the issue that we found with telehealth is if you're in a rural community, and you don't have great access to internet, telehealth may not be the best option for you. So I think it also still relates to issues that we have to continue to tackle at the state level and can't ignore. So we, we need better internet access even to provide telehealth and also just access to, ne- to technology. You know, when parents were homeschooling their children, they had to, to line up and get Chromebooks. So we also have to make sure folks even have a device that will even allow them to have access to telehealth services. But myself included, telehealth is truly life-changing as a um, working young professional to have the ability to talk with and engage with my doctor on the screen, opposed to physically going to the office. Not only is it easier for me not having to be stuck in traffic, but it also is a, a call savings, you know, whereas you don't have to sit in the lobby and engage with a lot of staff. You can have that easier access to help to telehealth. So COVID-19 has definitely exposed that. But again, with those economic disparities, everyone may not have access to to all of that, but also have to add, we've also seen gaps with folks that are in the gig economy. Again, I'm a millennial, I'm self-employed. And so before becoming a legislator, I actually had to pay for my own health care. And I was paying $500 a month through a major provider. I have a stomach condition. So there's a very specific and expensive um, medication that I have to utilize for that. So what we saw during this time, what we hear from business owners is they need more options to provide health care since they may have employees that, you know, have to quarantine for 14 days as a result of COVID-19, and they may not have the most robust health care plans available to them. That's all the more reason to expand Medicaid because more people will have access to that. And also just reimagining what health care coverage looks like. We've um, looked at out-of-the-box solutions such as associations where folks can pull together so that you have the numbers needed to have one shared health care plan. But everything really, really has to be on the table. We also need to have more paid leave for individuals that don't earn the highest wages. Again, as a temporary worker myself, coming out of college, I would often go to work sick. I may have the flu. One time I had bronchitis and I didn't know it and I was still showing up to work every day because I was a temporary worker. I didn't have paid leave. So if I didn't show up to work, I didn't get paid. So COVID-19 is also really exposing the need for paid leave because you have workers that are showing up to work. Not only are they not taking care of their sales, they're exposing other individuals to COVID-19 or the flu um, or other ailments. So it's really shown that folks should not have to go to work sick because they're in fear of losing their jobs. So those disparities with healthcare access and that connection to your economic livelihood have really been exposed during this pandemic. So we really have to not only expand Medicaid, but have a federal uniform policy regarding paid leave as well. How do you plan on helping Black and Latinx women who are at higher risk for maternal mortality and other reproductive health complications? 
Thank you so much for that question. And again, that is a key component of the Christine Murdoch plan because Black maternal health outcomes are continuing to decline, even though we're an industrialized country and we are just simply missing the mark. We have way too many friends that have really scary stories where they almost died and were ignored by their physicians. So Black women are three to four times more likely to die due to pregnancy-related complications. 60%, three in five of those deaths are preventable. Black infants are quite, twice as likely to die um, than white infants before celebrating their first birthday. For every maternal health-related death, there are 70 life-threatening situations or near misses. So we have to band together to save the lives of these mothers as well as these babies. And the same for Latinx, those numbers are also way too high. So you consistently see higher numbers and greater issues if you're Black, Indigenous, or Latinx. And so consistently, if you're a person of color, you really, really have to fight to stay alive simply by having a child. So there are a number of things that we can do to to address that. A lot of that, again, the theme of this conversation is we really, really need to expand Medicaid. It just opens up the door and provides you with more, more resources. And when we say that we expand Medicaid, there are so many folks that are in that gap where they don't qualify for the Affordable Health Care Act, and then they also don't um, qualify for Medicaid. And something that my mother actually brought to my attention back to the maternal health I- issue is you also could be in a gap because you don't qualify, qualify for Medicare. So you're in that age, age range where you can't qualify for all the access um, that you have as a senior because you're, you know, in your 30s, your 40s, you know, or your 50s. And so again, those are women that are having children. So that's all the more reason that we need to expand Medicaid. And we also have to have more healthcare provider options in rural areas, also more access to birth centers, midwives and doulas. I authored a bill last session to say that Medicaid dollars should be able to be utilized for um, these types of services. Studies show that you have a lower, incide- a lower incidence of postpartum depression and have often you know, a healthier birth by having access to a doula. And so if that's something that you want to have access to, a lot of women simply can't afford it. You know, and a lot of the women that can't afford afford it are either indigenous, African-American or Latinx. And so we also need to kind of expand access to all of those services, also more access to reproductive health, parenting, breastfeeding education, more access to reproductive health services so that if you don't want to have a child, you can have all the resources you need to, to only have a child, you know, when you plan to and also to increase funding and training for culturally affirming care to reduce disparities. We do need more diversity in the midwife and doula field, which is also why I authored that legislation so that we can expand that. And we also need more community-based solutions that are more holistic. Again, postpartum depression, a very, very real you know, issue. And so if you don't have that health care or those providers that are connecting your behavioral health with your physical health, then you won't get the assistance that you need. And we also need more diversity in the healthcare field. I have a number of friends that are physicians. One is an OBGYN and she sees it every day. It it makes a difference when you have a doctor um, that looks like you or is at least a person of color. And what you'll also hear in the healthcare field is minority doctors also face a lot of challenges as well. You know, oftentimes they may be, you know, only a handful of them in their, their medical class. And so they may feel isolated or something as basic as their their education. I think the most basic example I heard of are even the graphics, you know, that are in their books. They may not even see any people of color for those examples to say, wait a minute, if you see this type of rash, it's a problem. 
and you may not know what that looks like on brown skin. And so I think there are just so many reasons that we need to diversify the field and also to acknowledge racial um, bias, implicit bias in the healthcare profession. And so I think at the state level, as a legislator, there's a lot more that we can do to say, are you really receiving all the training you need to be culturally sensitive to all the different types of people that you will engage with, you know, as an OBGYN and also listening to black and brown people that are in the birthing space, as well as those workers and birth advocates so that we can kind of really diversify the field, um, what it even looks like to carry a child to, to term. So all of that has to, to be examined in this session will refile the bill that allows Medicaid to pay for doula services and also will be working with Representative Zach Calkins, who also represents Durham, to file a companion bill in the Senate that will also address maternal health outcomes for women of color. All right. Well, thank you so much. To wrap up, what is your vision for the future of health policy locally and on a broader scale? Yes, again, COVID-19, I think we will begin to speak of the world as before COVID-19 and after COVID-19. So I think that COVID-19 has pushed us into the future. All of my friends that are in the healthcare world have said, you know, telehealth is, is here. It's not an option. It is something that we are really, really pushing ourselves into. And so there's great opportunities with that where we can potentially have savings across our healthcare system where you know, maybe you can work something out over the phone with a prescription and they don't have to physically come into the office. That's great. So that our healthcare system can focus on individuals that are really sick, you know, back to mental health. You can, you know, now get therapy through your computer, through your tablet, through your phone. So I think that it will create more access. But again, we have to make sure that we don't leave individuals behind that don't have the income to have all the access to technology. I think that Again, with COVID and looking at the example of folks that are concerned about the vaccine, we've seen the need to have local leaders in the communities that are really knowledgeable about healthcare that people trust. You may not have that type of relationship with your doctor, but if that community leader, whether it's your, your church or, or someone else, maybe they can provide exposure and accurate information so that we don't have a lot of this disinformation to continue to float around. I think we'll have that change. And I think we've also as far as looking forward, the governor has created a task force that is bipartisan, um, but also very diverse as far as backgrounds from business owners to healthcare providers to those that are in corporate America. They're all convening to say, how can we simply provide more medical coverage? If it's not Medicaid expansion, what does that look like? Medicaid transformation actually is on the horizon. So you will have more managed care with, I think, only about five or six providers across the state including groups such as Blue Cross Blue Shield. So I think we have to figure out what does that look like? Because ideal, ideally, when you transform Medicaid, you also expand at the same time. So that will become effective July 1st. And so we will be navigating that. It will be a challenge doing that in addition to COVID-19. And I think also more than anything during COVID, we are seeing unprecedented levels of suicide and anxiety and, and depression so we also have to be interdisciplinary. You cannot separate your behavioral health from your physical health. So I think everything that we can do to make sure that all of those services are integrated and again, making sure folks have all the access to mental health services that they possibly can. Your zip code should not determine whether you live or die so that no matter where you live, you have the health care that you need. So we'll continue to fight for that. And COVID has, has pushed us to kind of re-examine 
everything. As you know, we're on the verge of another spike. Our hospitals are becoming very full. So I think we'll also have to examine just the capacity um, of, of our healthcare system as well. It's really built for those that are very sick. So I think we have to examine all those individuals that just kind of need those checkups and check-ins. Where do they fit when all the hospital beds are, are full? You know, so hopefully it won't come to that locally, but COVID-19 has served as a stress test. So I think that in the midst of this crisis, we can find new solutions and, and figure out what isn't working document all of this so that we can come out looking much better late 2021 and, and throughout 2022 and beyond. Thank you so much, Senator Murdoch, for joining us today on The Scope. It was really great talking to you about the Christine Murdoch plan and your health policy goals. Thank you again to Senator Murdoch for sitting down with us. This episode was produced and written by myself and Nadia. We would also like to thank Charlotte and Josie, our editors-in-chief, and the entire Scope team. And most of all, we want to thank our listeners. Tune in next week to hear the latest news from The Scope.